Are you ready, people? We're early. Are we early? Yes. Oh my goodness. Now get you early. How'd you do that? It's okay. Good job. asking you to bless us that we might bless you forgive us for our sins Lord and cleanse us from all unrighteousness Father we want to look into your word and, and just um, enjoy it, gain faith through it, we do claim the promises Lord God that uh, there's a blessing for those who believe but have not seen there's a blessing uh, concerning hearing your word Lord God and the faith that it gives Father, we ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit on every single person in the world today, on your believers, Lord God, your born-again ones. Just please help us, Lord God, with our health, spiritual, mental, and physical. Help those who are poor and suffering, living in countries where they cannot worship you openly. Uh, Lord, help your pastors and teachers to study and teach and to teach your word accurately, Father. We just ask that, Lord God, you bring those people back to church that aren't going. And Father, we hold up your Jewish people, Lord, your covenant people, and we ask that, Father, you would show them that Jesus Christ is their Savior and the Savior of the world. And Father, see how your enemies are astir, Lord, how they conspire and plot against you, Lord God, and against your people. Just We just ask that, Lord God, you would bring uh, the enemies of Israel um, to their knees, Lord, and especially that you uh, bring your gospel message to each one. And Father, that you give Israel victory over their enemies, and we thank you for that. Lord, we pray for all the unbelievers in the world today, and we ask that, Lord, you'd pour out your Holy Spirit of conviction on them, showing them that the time is getting short, that Jesus Christ is coming back to bring salvation to those who believe and judgment to those who don't. And so, Father, we just thank you for your word. We just pray that you'll uh, help us to enjoy it tonight, that you'll bless every single person here tonight with a special blessing, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, tonight is your night, so you get to ask whatever questions you want to ask. Okay. Why did the chicken cross the road? I'm not going to answer that. Okay. Uh huh. Connie? Hi. I shared a little bit with him, Mom, but we had a couple of us lose a six month old baby with SIDS, and she couldn't go back to the apartment. They, they moved to Central Point, but um, he told me by text to call Teresa right now. And so I feel like. And I was trying to help her, you know, you know, keep her focused on God, and you know, we don't know why these things happen, but praying, you know, that the grace and the peace of God will surround you. But she just, why, why did that happen? They had a two-year-old. September was two years old. I mean, she turned two in September. And she, 
every Saturday morning. She go to bed good Friday night, Saturday morning. It just starts up. It just churns and churns, and she's angry at everything. Her her little girl, her husband. If she can't, she is seeking grief counseling. How long ago did this happen? Uh, I think three weeks ago. Three weeks. Wow, that's pretty raw. Yeah, 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 sure. So the question is, why do good things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Or babies? Yeah, just babies. Bill, you want to tackle something on that one? Good job. And don't forget your. Oh, you can. Yeah, I do. Let me know if you can hear him now. I know a lot of times what I've been told, apart from the, the Bible of it, uh, is that um, with children, they're short-circuited into eternity. What the Bible tells us is, is that uh, God sees them and hears them. And remember, what, what did Jesus say about the little ones? Let's just look it up. Well, we know Jesus loves the little children, doesn't he? single person becomes accountable to God. And that's an age where they can understand. What's that? Oh yeah, I mean the an, an age the age of accountability usually doesn't come before four. I mean if you think about it, you know. Uh, maybe at five, you know, maybe at six or seven. I bet the parents may not understand all that because they're baby Christians. Yeah. Oh, I see what you mean, yeah. So, you know, the, here's the good news is that every person, babies, etc., including people with mental uh, problems that can't understand the gospel, you know, God saves their souls. Because they're, they don't, they they can't come to a position of making a decision. So that is that should be very comforting. To is and it, is it, it was part of the grieving process. Is what she's going through now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. Well, and there is a process to grieving. You know, it, you're you're very sad, and then you get angry, and then you question, and then I don't know what all the stages are, but I, I know I've been through them. Was this somebody related to you? The people that, no, they lived in the apartment above us. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I, I personally think that... They moved to Central Point. One of the hardest things that a parent can go through is to lose their children. Yeah. I, I want to die before my children die. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, that's, that's a toughie. But, and, you know, all you can do is really is just grieve with them. 
and uh, try to comfort him as best as possible. And, you know, God has, you know, you, you can't blame God for everything that happens. Yeah, sure. Well, I'll tell you something. Maybe he didn't want save her from all the misery that's going on in the world. Chapter. Well, there's a couple of different 
in Daniel. Let me turn to it real quick. It's Daniel chapter 7, I think. Let's just see. Well, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Okay, now hold on. That was the... He had a couple different dreams. So you talked about the statue? Yeah. Okay. And, and it goes on to say that they did not cling together. Yes. The iron is not mixed with clay. Okay. And I've heard different interpretations of that. So let me, let me find the, the dream real quick. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Okay, hold on. Okay, so the Nebuchadnezzar's dream that um, the question is so the question is this is that in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which happened in Daniel chapter two, you're welcome to turn there if you want to. Um, he sees this image. Let me see if I can read it to you, okay? So it says this, and you're welcome to turn there too. Nebuchadnezzar, I'll be in uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. It says, and, and by the way, Daniel is the Old Testament equivalent of the book of Revelation. Alright? It's just an amazing book. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, that was the king, okay, of Babylon, the Jews had been taken captive to Babylon uh, when Nebuchadnezzar came and overran uh, the nation of Israel the, the, and Jerusalem in uh, about 597 BC, somewhere in that neighborhood. Okay, and uh, it had been it had been uh, uh, forecast and prophesied by God because of Israel's disobedience. So. Daniel is one of the young men that was taken and primed to be uh, in Nebuchadnezzar's court as one of his uh, uh, workers. And it says here, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and could not sleep, so the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. So there's a little um, rear end kissing here. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. Well, okay. So if Nebuchadnezzar tells them the dream, they can come up with kind of whatever interpretation they want, you know, and, 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 and it might fly. But he doesn't do that. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, so you got to tell me what the dream was and then interpret it, he says, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. I don't think I'd want to be one of his astrologers. Huh? -uh. He says, um, but if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me the gifts and rewards and great honor, blah, blah, blah. So the, tell me the dream and interpret it. So there's no guessing here. Well, to cut the story short, they keep going back and forth to the king. 
hey, look, king, you know, nobody can do that. You've got to tell us the dream, and then we'll interpret it. And the king says, no, I'm not going to do that. And pretty soon the king gets kind of ticked off. And so what happens is this, is that um, Daniel, who had interpreted dreams before, uh, uh, is remembered by Arioch. It says, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Now this is uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 15. So Daniel asks him, why does the king issue such a harsh decree? And so Daniel says, look, I'm going to go pray about it and see if the Lord gives me the interpretation. So then in verse 24, well, in fact, I want to read something to you here. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, so this is Daniel's, uh, this is his prayer and his witness. He says, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and disposes them. That's really good news considering we're going to have an election in one year. Okay. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells within him. So Daniel prays, I thank and praise you, O God, my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. So then Daniel uh, goes back to Arioch, who is the commander of the king's guard, and says, hey, listen, um, you know, don't execute these astrologers and magicians, etc., and bring me in front of the king, and I'll, my God has given me an interpretation. So then, uh, he does that. Arioch took this is a long interpretation, long answer to your question, but it's it's a great story. So and it's a true story. So it's it's good for us to to review. Arioch took Daniel to the king. This is verse twenty five. At once and said, "I have found a man among the exiles from Judah." So Daniel was a slave, basically, who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? The king, uh, so then Daniel replied, and you'll notice Daniel doesn't take credit here at all. He says this, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He will show King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Now this is an amazing... God gives Nebuchadnezzar this, this Gentile, unsaved king an amazing dream about the future, a prophetic dream, if you will. And so then Daniel says this. He says... You looked, O king, I'm in verse 31, and before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. Now it's interesting, when 
humanity looks at earthly kingdoms, it's dazzling. When Satan took Jesus up to the top of the mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, from Satan's viewpoint, they were dazzling. When God looks at man's kingdoms, they're beasts. They're beastly kingdoms. So he says this. He says, you, you, you saw a large statue, dazzling, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of brawn, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, partly of baked clay. And that's what you're talking about, right? The toes. The, yeah, okay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. So then, that's the dream. Now Daniel tells him what the interpretation is. And it's, 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 it's so remember there's this head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs, two legs of iron, and its feet with the ten toes are partially of clay and partially of iron, okay? So, he says this. He says, this was the dream and now we will interpret it to the king. So he even brings his buddies in, his three buddies in, to, so that he doesn't take any credit for this at all. You, are, you O king, speaking to, to Babylon, to um, Belshazzar, no, to Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me, too many names in this. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the fields and the birds of the birds of the air, wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. So he explains the head of gold. That is Babylon. That is King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. There have been um, at least six kingdoms, seven kingdoms, that have given the nation of Israel trouble. And we're going to see in Revelation chapter 17 when we visit that on Sunday, which will probably be in 2026, okay, uh, we're going to see that he, he uh, that Jesus tells John that uh, five have been, one is, and one is to come. And the five that have been would be uh, Assyria, Egypt, Babylon, Media Persia, Greece, that's the five that have been, okay? The one that is was Rome. Rome was the one that was ruling on the face of the earth when John wrote Revelation. And the one that will come is going to be the revived Roman Empire, if you will, okay? Uh, the ten-nation confederacy that's going to come out of the Roman Empire. Remember something about the Roman Empire. It was huge, okay? It incorporated nations in uh, Africa, Asia, uh, the Middle East, Europe, 
like France and England and, and all, Spain and all that. So it's huge. So the ten nations could be Arabic, uh, uh, Arabic nations. They could be a, a combination of all kinds of things. I have no charge on that one, okay? He says this, after you, you're the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise, but it's going to be inferior to you. That's going to be the silver. That's the Medes and the Persians. They came together and they conquered Babylon, the Babylonians. And the Persian kingdom was also huge. And what nation is Persia today? Iran. Iran. And what nation are we having a lot of trouble with? Iran. Iran. Yeah, they want to set up, they want to, they want to, I, the Iranian government wants to recapture the glory of the Persian Empire that one once was. And uh, in order to do that, of course, they're going to um, try to conquer uh, various other empires. You'll notice one thing about Iran, though. They're, they're pretty smart, really. They're having all of these other terror organizations do their dirty work for them. I think what Israel ought to do is just take out Iran. Take out the government of Iran. Get rid of the head. Anyway, okay. So, Medes and the Persians. Okay, that was the next. That was the arms of silver. Then he says this next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. That would have been Greece. Okay, uh, Alexander the Great was... I mean, that was an amazing kingdom. We still, if you, if you look at the capitals of most of the, the capital buildings of most of the states today, they're all Grecian Roman uh, flavored, you know, with the, the columns and all the rest of that stuff. It says, finally, there will be a fourth kingdom strong as iron. That's the Roman kingdom, and it was indeed strong as iron. For iron breaks and smashes everything, and as iron breaks things into pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. This is an amazing dream. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. And as the toes were partly of iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. So iron doesn't mix with clay, does it? It just doesn't. So what he's telling us here is he's telling us here that the peoples of this kingdom uh, this this kingdom that's coming, the ten toes, the ten nations, they're not going to be united in some ways. They're certainly not going to be probably united in culture, all right? Probably not united in religion. I think you're going to see some, uh, some uh, uh, what do you call, uh, what do you call the Arab religion? Thank you. Okay, I'm back. Wow. Yeah, the, you know, the, there's going to be some Muslims. There undoubtedly be. I really believe this is just me now. Okay, that 
the, the, the umbrella will be the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. That's going to be the umbrella, okay? And they're going to bring in all the, all the other religions with them, and uh, it's going to be, that's going to be a part of the, uh, uh, the Whore of Babylon mm -hmm. in uh, Revelation chapter 17. What's that? They've already started that. They have. They have already started that, bringing Muslims in, and et cetera, et cetera. So but they won't have Jews. No. Uh, they they may have uh, Jews that are not Christians and that are not believers. Yeah. See, that's another thing. Is Jew a nationality or is Jew? Uh, isn't it both? It's both. It's a race. It's a religion, the uh, Jewish religion, Judaism, and it's a nationality, the nation of Israel. So it's a very, it's a very unique uh, thing in, in uh, history. So tell me what you think the, the toes, the mixed toes are. Oh, that's answered pretty clearly if you, if you take it literally in, ver in was it verse uh, 40. Three. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if we see these ten, if we see these ten toes, if these ten toes represent ten nations, or ten spheres of influence, or ten um, divisions of of continents, or something. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not going to be a solid thing because we're going to see that three of the ten are go not going to go along with what the, with what, what the Antichrist wants to do. Alright? And so, the little horn in Daniel, chapter 7, is going to uh, subdue three of the nations. Now, how, how could we bring that into modern terms? Okay, let's just say, right now, Let's just say Iran, okay? Iran's a, a very powerful nation, powerful army, okay? It's one of the ten, we'll say. It could absorb Syria and Lebanon and maybe uh, uh, Yemen because they have the same religion, they have a similar culture, etc. So that's one nation that could absorb three with me on that. So that's possibly what could happen in that arrangement. Bill? Well, I do see that you can actually interpret this as being the kingdom of heaven coming with Jesus Christ, uh, because it is a spiritual kingdom. Uh, read verse 44. And the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kings and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall uh, come to pass hereafter. And essentially what it says is that the Christ's kingdom is the kingdom that, that uh, supersedes all other kingdoms. Absolutely, all of them. So I think I think that the the partly iron, partly clay is, you know, that, that could be um, 
that could be representative of some of the nations maybe stronger than others in this coalition. It could be that um, their cultures don't mix, their, their governments aren't going to agree. I, I think it's pretty safe to assume at least that. Well, look at your history. Can you, can you read, just read out loud, verse 43? Absolutely, yeah. Verse 43 says this, And just as you saw iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. I mean, that seems pretty self-explanatory, huh? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm reading the King James Version. It's a better uh, translation myself. It says, whereas, and whereas thou sawest iron mixed with iron clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. But they shall not cleave one another, even as iron not mingled. So that's what that's what I, I'd like you to talk about. They it shall seems to, it seems it goes much further than just nations divided. Yeah, read it Some again. Nations. Would you mind? Would you mind reading that well, again? You have then, to read it at the same time as two, because forty-two is part of that. The read they it. is talking about the toes. Well, okay, you can show it. Uh, yeah. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Period. And whereas, in other words, continuing, just talk about that. Whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they, and I'd like to put that in quotes, we need to figure out who they is, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. So I just want you to explain to me what the seed of men is. Okay, that's interesting, yeah. Yeah, it almost, it almost sounds like it, it, it could be traced back to Genesis chapter 6, which is um, the mingling of angelic seed with human seed to produce the Nephilim, which was a half-angelic, half-human race. Um, and that was a part of Satan's plan also, because, and that's the reason, that is virtually the entire reason that God flooded the earth is because the seed of man was mingled with angelic seed and if that would have continued then Jesus Christ would not have been born completely a human being he would have been part angelic and part human which would have disqualified him from going to the cross and dying for sins because it had to be a human being a human representative of the human race that satisfied God's <coughs> righteous demands. So, yeah. Um, so there, there is, there is um, talk and teaching that in the last days, okay, the fallen angels. Do you remember uh, Revelation chapter nine, where the the cover is taken off of the shaft? and the scorpion-like creatures come out, the locusts. Okay, some of you have a blank look. Let me go back here and read it to you, okay? It's awesome. So, because uh, this will kind of go along. Yeah, yeah. This will kind of go along with what you're saying here. Let's see, is it, is. So, here's what it says, okay? I'm in Revelation chapter nine, verse one. 
The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star. This is an angel that had fallen from the sky to the earth. This star could very well be Satan. Okay? The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. Now, in Revelation chapter 1, it says, Jesus said, I have the keys of death and Hades. All right? So I imagine Jesus has got a key ring that's full of all kinds of keys. Right? And he could be the one giving this key to this angel. When he opened the abyss, now where is the abyss? A lot of people think that it's in one of the deepest chasms of the sea. Okay? There are chasms like the Mariana Trench, the Puerto Rican Trench, etc., that you could fit Mount Everest in. And, they, and Mount Everest would be covered in water. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that amazing? Mount Everest is over 30,000 feet high, I believe. Or, or is it? It's just under 30,000. Uh, just under 28,000, is it? It's 29,000 something. I think it's 29,480. <laughs> so uh, if you really want to know, let's uh, put the half in there. And, uh, right, right. So, <laughs> yes, it's very deep, yeah. So he opens up, he's given the key, so there's a key to this, this, um, the opening, what did he call it here? Uh, given the key to the shaft of the abyss, so the shaft goes into the earth somewhere. Now, what did we see? Keep that in your mind for just a minute, okay? What did we see in Peter? In C, let me see, First Peter, Second Peter. Hold on. Don't get ahead of me here. And then second, must be Second Peter. Um. Yeah, so he says this. Now listen, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. This is all really very, that's a good question. You're, you opened up a can of worms. You really did, yes. It says, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned. This if is a first class condition in the Greek. It means if and he didn't. Okay, If and it's true. All right. It is true that God did not spare angels when they sinned. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, and that's true, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, and he didn't, but protected Noah, etc. So God did not spare the angels when they sinned. And Jude, in Jude 6, gives us another uh, uh, at this thing. He says this, listen to this, now listen. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority. God assigned angels over every nation. And these angels decided that they liked the human they wanted to be, they wanted to be the gods in, hum, in of humanity, rather than being subservient to God. It says, it says this: the angels who did not keep their positions of authority. 
but abandoned their own home. What was their own home? Well, their own home was a heavenly home. These he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Back to Revelation chapter 9. These angels were committed to the pit, to the abyss. And what happens here is when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like smoke from a gigantic furnace. Oh, you can imagine what this place is like. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. These have got to be demonic or, or fallen angelic creatures. Okay. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree. Now scorpion or um, uh, locusts—that's what they eat. So this is exactly opposite of what their main function is. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of a the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. Listen, during those days men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die but death will elude them. So, back to uh, Daniel. So some believe, and, and I, 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 I probably hold to this theory, that God is going to release these terrible angels who did not keep their first positions of authority, who, who made such a mess of earth before the flood and he is going to give mankind exactly what they want what do they want oh i'm glad you asked let me tell you in revelation chapter 9 verse 20 it says this the rest of mankind that were not killed by the plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands listen to what the work of their hands were they did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see, hear, or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magical arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. So then, if we go by the seed, okay, the King James Version of the seed, you know, we see in Genesis 3.15 the seed war. Right? I've talked to you about that before. When Adam, Eve was tempted and sinned. She was deceived. Adam was tempted and sinned willingly. He had the command. Eve, Eve didn't have the command. Adam did. God told Eve, why did you do that? Well, I gave it to my husband. He wanted to eat too. Why did you do it, Adam? Well, the devil made me do it. Then he, he talked to the devil. He says, he said, listen, he says, your seed is going to be, is going, my, the seed of God, which is going to be Jesus Christ, is going to crush the seed of the serpent. That would be the Antichrist. Okay? 
So this seed war, all right, and we see the seed war in Genesis chapter 6. The seed of man was tried to be infiltrated so that Jesus Christ could not come, die for the sins of the world, and Satan would win. And then in chapter 9 of Revelation, this shaft is open, these locusts come out. We know that they're demonic, they're, they're satanic, they're, they're fallen angels for sure. And they go out and torture those that do not have the seal of God on their forehead. So, what could happen here, and if we go by the word seed, is that the end times we could see this Nephilim arising again in the world. Okay, uh, and that that is a plot, a very plausible interpretation because we've seen it in the past, and history repeats itself. And uh, Satan, what it is, was it say in in uh, Revelation? It says Satan has been cast down to the earth, and he is very angry. Why? He knows his time is short. That's why he's very angry. So that. That is one way of, of looking at what's going to happen those last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. There, we know this, okay, we know this. In Ephesians, and I don't mean to take up all this time, Bill, but we'll give you, give you a, maybe you can explain Ephesians chapter 6 to us. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6. Still looking at verse 43. Are, are you? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells us about the hierarchy. The hierarchy of the fallen world. Right? There's generals. There's lieutenant colonels. There's captains. There's majors. They're above captains. There's sergeants. There's your, your privates. And all of the angelic world, good angels and bad angels, have this hierarchy. <coughs> and um, we're going to see that heightened in that last seven years of tribulation on the face, especially the last three and a half years. The last three and a half years are called the Great Tribulation. The first three and a half years are just the tribulation. Aren't we seeing that heightened now? We are. What's going on with all the we are. <clears throat> yeah. So I don't want to, but I have a question still. So are you saying that this possibly is what's in, in Daniel talking about the ten toes and all of that with the seed of man is the second half of the tribulation? I am, well, absolutely. Yes, ab absolutely. I am saying that is definitely a part of the tribulation. Okay. Okay, that's 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 that's, that's a foregone conclusion. Okay, okay. Um, whether or not the seed from the King James version is referring to the seed of uh, the fallen angels or the Nephilim, that's something that is a a way to look at it. Okay, there. Are, yes, and another possible way of looking at it is that that is exactly how Rome fell. It was not very coherent. They have feet of clay, as it were. And that's what we're seeing here. And what's the not mixing? What are the toes? The toes are a rule. 
They didn't mix. All of the, it says, they uh, shall mingle themselves uh, with the seed of men. In other words, it's a time of confusion. And there was a, a Rome, we think of Rome as being a huge, mighty uh, empire, and in a way it was, and it also was rather weak. It was weakened when it had the Germanic invasions, the tribes that came in. It could not stand. It was looking for ways to make that the kingdom stand. Man is always like that. It looks strong. It looks like it's made of iron. It looks like it's brass or gold or whatever precious thing that we think it is. But it doesn't work. Only God's kingdom stands. That's what the, the import of this, this passage is. Ultimately, bottom line, I don't care when you say it's going to happen. The kingdom of God is the only kingdom that can stand. Amen. And then, do you, um, I'm looking for this scripture here where it's, oh, I'm in the wrong, I'm in Revelation, no wonder I'm not in Daniel. No wonder I can't find it. Uh, in, in Daniel, when he interprets that dream, he says this, and this goes right along with what Bill is saying. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. Who is the rock? Jesus. Jesus is the rock. Yeah, he's the rock of our salvation. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Okay? So, yeah, this is man's kingdom. However, however it comes to be, however it forms, whatever nations are involved in it, whatever peoples, uh, ultimately, the good news is that Christ is going to smash all of these earthly kingdoms and uh, set up his own kingdom, which at that point in time will be the millennial kingdom, and he'll reign and rule and reign on the face of the earth for a thousand years. Now the interesting thing, an interesting question that nobody would, has posed is, it says in the Bible that God is going to put Satan in prison for a thousand years, right? And then he's gonna let him out. Why? Why would God let him out? Hey, I'd like him in prison. Amen. You know? <laughs> Anybody got a thought on that, Bill? Well, the millennium is still with people, as people. We've not died, we've not resurrected, we don't have our heavenly bodies. It's still human beings doing what human beings do. It's not a perfect time. It's filled by Christ. Right. Christianity works. However, people do not implement it perfectly. And of course, with given time, uh, depending on how you, you read the, the millennium, I don't care if it's in the future or the past or when, it's not going to last. It cannot last. Not until God resurrects us and we have our resurrected bodies. It just cannot exist in this world permanently. The people who enter into the... It's interesting to go to look at the different economies or the different dispensations that God has set up. Um, you know, the the uh, the thousand year let's go back to the tribulation the tribulation will start with no believers whatsoever on the face of the earth the millennium will start with no unbelievers on the face of the earth however unbelie the believers will have children and children's children and even though Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning on the th David's throne in Jerusalem, there's going to be unbelievers in the world and nations 
you know, there'll be national nationalities and nations that will, just like right now, I mean, name one Christian president or uh, uh, leader of a nation right now. Can you name one? Any nation? Any nation. A Christian? A Christian. Born again Christian. Any nation on the face of the earth. I don't think I can. Well, there are two that were just recently elected, and I could I could try and try to try and think, and they're just like little countries. Okay, so you can't then. No, because. <laughs> okay, I make my point. But actually, there were two Geister, Geister, something like that. Start with a G. In one of them. Yeah, I mean, and so, but, you know, a thousand, thousand years worth of people and generations, etc. Um, Satan's going to be let loose to tempt one more time to give people a choice. But even if you find people that said, like, the, the first person that pops into my mind is Haile Selassie. Um, even if you find somebody who's a Christian, very dedicated to God, they're always, you can always go, oh, well, he did this, and he did that, he wasn't perfect. Well, of course he wasn't perfect. He was, he was a human being. It isn't going to happen. The sin seed will still be there. Yeah. Now, Did that answer your question? Um, partially, I think. Kind of, sort of. I just, uh, I, I don't know that you can associate the dividing of nations with this when you consider the word seed of men. And I, and I, and I'm not negating, you know, the nations will not be able to be divided. I'm, I, what I'm saying is, me logical that when, when the dream is interpreted as the seed of men, it means exactly that. They yeah. mingle themselves. In other words, whether it's by population or it's by fooling around with genetics in a lab. But I find it really interesting that there's a lot of talk about aliens these days. Yeah. And it wouldn't put a path for Satan to make people, especially that don't aren't smart and don't have studied the word, to realize that this is a big concocted story to make us feel like there's another race and there's another we don't have one God here and they could easily mingle themselves and create a creature that looks something like us but different like they came from the Andromedas or wherever it was I mean there, there's a lot of talk about it it seems to me that's the Antichrist coming up or what's to come the great deception as it's talked about in Ephesians or is it Thessalonians? Thessalonians. The, yeah. great, the great deception. Yeah. That and well, we're on, well, and while we're on the subject, I'll lob another one that way. Um, the Caesars were considered gods. They held themselves divine. Yep. So uh, I'm not going to belabor it any further. If you want to, because I don't really think that it should be uh, bypassed. Let's go back to <laughs> to Matthew chapter 10, uh, where. Um, Jesus was talking about children. Let's start at verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 3. And he's talking about children. This is Jesus talking here. Uh, and, he, and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Where is it, Bill? I'm in um, chapter 10. Uh, I'm sorry, did I say 10? I meant to uh, say 18. 
Matthew chapter 18. Yeah, I misread it on my computer. That's why I was double four. They have zeros. And you might not be wasn't back in the I do have in the King James Version, by the way. Which version do you have? King James. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, I'll start again. Yes. Uh, verse 3. Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, he had a child amongst uh, in the midst of him, um, the same shall the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. And whoso shall fend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged uh, about his neck and that he were drowned in the deepest sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy foot or thy, uh, if the hand or the foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them off uh, from thee. It is better for thee to enter into uh, life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet uh, to be cast into everlasting fire. And he goes on. Uh, I'm going to skip down to um, verse 10. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. So what does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus is saying that they're all, they've all got angels, they're all saved? Maybe. I think that's possibly where we're getting the age of consent or the age of accountability from. Mm-hmm. Thanks. It's awesome. Okay. Have we got any more questions? Who's brave among you? I have one. And it's one we've talked about before. I, but it was brought up to me again the other day. In Romans 11, 4, I think it is. Also will be cut off. 
And it sounds like if you tie that in with some other verses, and you think about some of the people today that have appeared to be strong Christians and have fallen off, and the, and the Bible talks about in the end times the apostasy, or turning away from the Lord, it sounds like God is cutting you off, but that seems to go against eternal salvation. And once you select, once you've given your life over to the Lord, can you lose your salvation? And I believe that you can. But then you come across verses like this, and so can God, you can't lose your salvation, but can you walk away from it? Okay. Go for it, yeah? Yeah. Um, I'm going to draw your attention to 1 Corinthians 5, chapter, right, that's chapter 5, verse 5. having sex with his stepmother okay and uh, so and, and it was being tolerated in the Corinth church and so Paul says hey you've got to expel this immoral brother and uh, to turn to hand this man over to Satan like Bill just said so that the sinful nature or the human body if you will may be destroyed in the spirit saved on the day of the Lord. So, do you want to continue on that one? Yeah, I'm not even sure that I think that he's saying that the body will be entirely destroyed, but certainly because of destruction, because that's, that's what ha happens. You reap what you sow. Be you not deceived. This is in Galatians. God is not mocked, for as a man sows, so shall he also reap. That doesn't stop what you can say. God loves, who God chasteneth, he loved, who loved he chasteneth. What father would not chasten his son? If your kid's running across the street, not looking both ways, before, I remember this from when I was a little kid, hey, you're running across the street. My dad laid into me. Is it because my dad didn't love me? My dad absolutely did love me, and if he hadn't, I'd probably be dead by now. That's exactly what God is doing here. He's who God loves, he chases. So, let's answer your question then. First of all, no. If a person is genuinely born again, they cannot be unborn, okay? If they decide to turn their back on God, God will never turn his back on them or us. And who in this building right now today has never turned his back on God? We'd be saved, unsaved, saved, unsaved. God's eraser on the end of his pencil would be so worn out by erasing our name out of the book and then writing it back in and erasing it back in. The fact of the matter is, 
is it, it is a free gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, what you brought up in Romans chapter 11, that's a perfect example of making sure that you understand the context. Mm -hmm. Who is Paul talking to here and why? Okay, He's talking about the nation of Israel and the Gentile people, right? He's talking about this, this tree and the Gentiles were grafted in to this tree so that they could be a part of God's family. And so in, uh, and I, I, I'd have to read the chapter to, to give you, exactly yeah, to give you an exact of why he said that, mm -hmm. but that's what it was. He was talking to Gentile peoples and telling them, hey, you know, you were grafted in, you could be grafted out. So what did he mean by grafted out? Well, grafted out, yeah. Mine says, spiritual pride has no place in salvation by grace. Spiritual pride has no place in salvation because by grace. Because it is. Yes. That's the that's context, exactly too. What is the yeah. beginning of spiritual pride? That is saying that... There's a lot of people who believe... Don't be proud Gentiles. Yeah. yeah, yeah, don't despise the Jews yeah. because exactly. God has given them blindness right now yeah. so that the Gentiles can be graft, grafted in. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of people that do believe that you can lose your salvation. And that's very, very sad because it goes completely against grace. It impugns the character of God. When God makes a promise, he keeps his promise, okay? Uh, yes, if a person turns their back on God, is God gonna do nothing? No, he's gonna, he's gonna discipline those people. Okay, that is what was brought up to me is there's a difference between losing your salvation and walking away from it. Is there a difference between that? Well, first of all, there's no such thing as losing your salvation. Yeah. Okay, so that's but a mood issue. Can you walk away from it? Can it, this person of course. using an example? Of course, there's millions of people who've walked away from their Christian faith. Did the, well, did the prodigal but son. from your salvation. Mm -hmm. What did you say, Bill? I said, did the prodigal son walk away yeah. from his father? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's a good he took his inheritance and said, yeah, I'm yeah. going to go party. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And his father was just waiting for him to come back. Yeah. And, that's, that's, and yeah. I, I maintain that, of course, the scripture you're talking about is talking about the larger uh, cultural sense, the Jews as a, a people. And the Christians, of course, were not by inheritance Jews. They didn't have that, that background of the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law, and all the, the prophets. They, they just, they heard about it, maybe, but they found out that Jesus, God incarnate, loved them enough to die for their sins, and they thought, this sounds good. And then, at some point or another, sometimes they decided that this life is a little harder than they expected, and they decided to walk away. Does God still love them? Yes. Yes. And God is still going to chastise them, and discipline them until they turn around and come back to him, because his arms, he's always there. He yes. hasn't moved. You know, it's like, you know, like a lot of people say, well, where's God? Where's God gone? God, God hasn't gone anywhere. You're the one that's left. You need to turn around. Yeah, and you, and, and you have to, you know, you have to, if you're going to, to broach that subject, you have to go down to the lowest common denominator. How do we 
define left your salvation? Is that left for a second? Left for a minute? A month? A year? 20 years? Is there any difference between those things? Because that time only means something to us, not, not to God. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, um, I mean, I was praying the, the other morning and I was thinking, you know, I mean, I've been a Christian now for 55 years. And I was thinking about all the stupid things that I've done. The sins that I've committed. Just flat out sins. You know? And I was thinking to myself, in praying to God, I was thinking, you know, Lord, it's a shame that we're so stupid when we're young. You know? Youth is, wa youth is wasted on the young. There's no doubt about that. Okay? Uh... That's a fact. We, we kind of hope that that's not the way it works out, but yes, that you do make a point there. We hope. Lucky. I think that that's one verse you probably don't want to take literally. No. Okay, because all of us will be walking around with eyes plucked out, yes. limbs missing, right? Yeah, no, that's that's one we're not going to take literal on that one. Everybody's tongue would be gone. Yes. Well, Jesus did that in the Sermon on the Mount, too. A lot of times, uh, Jesus is saying the worst-case scenario. You know, if you sin a little bit, you lost everything. And he wasn't kidding either. You do actually lose everything. It, how many sins does it take to, to separate you from God if you're uh, if you're not saved? You're saved by grace. When you sin, you have still sinned. Problems are still going to come from that sin. God does not stop loving you because you have sinned. Yeah. And, and you saying that... So here's a scenario. I'm, very, I'm a Christian, born again. I'm very, very depressed. I go up to the 10th story of uh, Medford Hotel. I don't know if it has 10 stories. But <laughs> let's call it five stories. I think it has five anyway. And I decide, you know, this isn't worth it, and I throw myself off. And while I'm going down, I go, oh, wait a minute, Lord, I don't want to do this. Kind of late then, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to splat on the ground. and So, yeah, you know, sin does have consequences in our lives. The good news is that God has taken into consideration every single aspect of our lives. And I look back, I'll go back to my life again. I look back and there are things that, you know, I just wish I had never done. Things that I'm, I'm ashamed of. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, God, God knew. He says, well, you know, and he took me to the woodshed on those things too. You know, I can... I can honestly say that I've been to the woodshed a few times, right? Sometimes. And so, but you know, like Bill said, God still loves us. He, we, we're just, when you use a parent, when your child does something wrong, blatantly, do you just say, okay, you're not my kid anymore? <laughs> no. <laughs> 
I mean, my my kids are in their forties, and I still have to deal with them. You know, always will. Always will. And it's kind of worse and kind of better if they know it, or or they they think they're doing the right thing, but they're really not. Paul himself was a perfect example of that. He was persecuting the church. He thought he was serving God. Very difficult situation. Terrible. Yeah. Called himself the worst sinner. Yeah. Because of that. Yeah. Jeff? I'm just going to say that my dad would say he's going to give me back to the Indians. He's going to give me back to the Indians? Yeah. <laughs> Did he? <laughs> You know, but can you really divorce your parents? No, you can't. It's just legal. Yeah, it's, yeah. Sharon? Well, see, it's, it's a personal relationship with Christ. And only that personal individual with that relationship with Christ knows their salvation. And God can judge them. Man really can't judge somebody else's salvation. Yeah, and one thing that I think about often and I pray about often is people that are in cultish religions, okay? Um, that have, don't have correct doctrine, but yet profess Jesus Christ and seem to know the Lord. And when people ask me, well, are they saved? And I say, I, I'm not God, I can't tell you that. You know, uh, God only knows you know, who's saved and who's not. And and back to uh, your point too, you know, there's a lot of Christians who believe you have to earn your salvation. Mm -hmm. What a shame. Yeah. You know, I could never work hard. I could, my, my salvation is so valuable. Our salvation is so valuable, you could work an entire lifetime and not earn it. it. Just, you can't. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't buy it. Uh, God's got to give it to you and you've got to sign on the bottom line that you want it. And when you do, it's a contract. And God keeps his end of the contract even though you might not keep your end. I think that's what people get confused when they think that they, they can lose your salvation by not being good enough. Yeah. Well, what we have so to remember... When it attempted to begin with. What we have to remind people is that when you become a Christian, you don't become sinless. Right. You just want to sin less. 
you know, it's not that we're sinless because we're going to sin. That's just our nature. But as Christians, we're going to try our hardest to sin less every day right. and become more Christ-like. I'm a little tempted to say that there are two kinds of salvation, but I think more correctly I should say there's grace yes. and then there's salvation. Salvation is what you get for obeying God. I decide not to run across the street, therefore I don't get squashed by a car and killed. <laughs> Race is something that God pulls me back. He, it basically makes it impossible for me to do the running. And God does not do that in our behavior, but on, in the, the eternal sense, the stupid things that we do because we believe things that we shouldn't be believing, God saves us from that. That is a free gift. For by grace are you saved through faith. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Who's strong enough? Who is strong enough? And I've 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 had I've used that scripture when witnessing, and I've had people actually say, "Well, I can pluck myself out of God's hand." Really? Are you stronger? Are you stronger than Jesus? Well, that's how you're on a power trip, dude. That's right. You know. All right. Well, it's uh, it's almost eight o'clock. Bill, you want to finish us up in prayer? Okay, let's do it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Thank you for all the, the word that you've given us and the truth. And we thank you so much for your grace. Because without it, we could do nothing. Please be with us until we meet again. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This Sunday is going to be a good one. So uh, I'm, gonna, I'm going to talk about the creatures. Are you sure? <laughs> yes. heard that many times before. Yes, I'm talking about the creatures this Sunday. <laughs> you want to hold some to it?